Now, if I was creator God, I would have done things a little bit differently. For a start, it seems like a pretty bad arrangement to have that whole, like, um, tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden. Everyone knows if you don't want your kids to eat the treats, you know, the forbidden treats that you buy for yourself, you don't, you, you, you hide them out of sight, don't you? You put them up high in the cupboard. You don't leave them out in the middle of the kitchen bench. You are inviting disobedience. But Father God put thing, the, the tree, he said, don't eat that one, right in the middle of the garden. Doesn't sound very smart, does it? If I had been creator God, I would have set it up differently. It would have been less risky, a bit safer, less chance of being rejected, a bit more controlled, a little robotic, perhaps. But that's not relationship. It has to have within it the possibility of being rejected. Dave doesn't stay with me because he can't leave. He... He stays with me because he loves me and he wants to be with me. Yes. But I think we often wonder, people have often asked me, why did God put this whole, like, why did he let us stuff it up? Because I know that Adam and Eve stuffed it up, but let's be honest, you or I in the same situation would have stuffed it up just as fast, if not sooner, because that's just how we work. But real love requires the possibility of, of being rejected that our first parents took was. It wasn't about breaking a rule so much. It was about pushing away from God. The kind of the vibe of it, the, the thought behind it was, God, I don't really trust you to guide my life. I think I probably know better. In fact, I think I want to know better. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make my own life separate from God. Turns out you don't know better. Turns out... Your life separate from God is full of hurt and shame and ultimately death. But what's God's response? Is this going to go on? Oh, when the cool evening breezes were blowing from the Lord God among the trees, just like your kids do when they've stolen that thing. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You know how... You ask questions sometimes not because you're looking for information, but because you're trying to open a conversation. I don't ask my children, did you have some marshmallows last night? Because I want information. I know that there were marshmallows eaten last night because I know what the sound of the cupboard door is. I know the sound of the stool being pulled up. I know the sound of the marshmallow packet being opened. But when the Lord God comes, it sounds like a genuine question. He comes looking for a relationship done, and there is going to be hell to pay. That's not the tone at all. Lord God knows everything, but he doesn't come accusing. In the same way, Father God knows everything about all of the stuff-ups that we have done, but he never comes accusing. He comes listing, uh, looking for relationship. And yes, there are consequences. Every good parent knows that there are consequences. When you take the marshmallows, there are natural consequences. But when he talks about those consequences, he's already laying out his plan to take those consequences upon himself and the death of Now, if we fast forward a little bit, I'm kind of in this message today, I'm kind of taking you on like an epic journey through the whole Bible. 
not revelation because that's challenging. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to we're gonna cover some ground. But so the story goes on. And in the, the Old Testament, we see God again and again affirming his love for humanity and his commitment to his people. And there's a series of covenants. There's a, a covenant with Noah. Remember the, you know, Noah and the flood and the ark and the rainbow. And God makes a covenant with Noah and says, um, um, yeah, as Genesis progresses, we've got it written in here. Oh, he said, Noah is with all people, everybody who's left after the flood. And then as Genesis goes on, he makes co- um, covenants with Abraham and with Moses. And then there's a new covenant that comes in with Jesus. So a covenant is... Um, a commitment to a certain kind of relationship usually has stipulations. The, the, the thing that you're most probably familiar with, the covenant, is what in modern legal terms is terms of engagement. You know, like when you sign up for a thing and then on the other side there's that really fine print that you never read? It's all those, we will do this and you will do this and if this doesn't happen, then the deal is off. It's kind of how it goes. Does anyone ever read those a little fine print? Never to. Chuck it out. Probably not that wise, but... Um, covenants were a really common thing to happen in that kind of time. We don't really talk about entering into covenant with each other. But a covenant could happen between people. So David and Jonathan form a covenant. Covenants would happen between nations. Um, King Solomon and King Hiram have one in First Kings 5. And the idea is, you do this, I'll do this. If we both keep up our end of the deal, all's good. But if we don't, the deal's off. Generally, that's how a covenant works. So with Abraham and Moses, those covenants, there are stipulations. There's if you are obedient to these things, blessings are going to flow. If you're disobedient, this bad stuff is also going to happen. But there's always a way back to God. There's always a way back into relationship with God. And the Israelites need it again and again. But the incredible thing is that in the two covenants that are made with all people, so not just God's special family, the Israelites, with Noah, and then again in the new covenant, which Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about when they've totally stuffed it up and then Jesus comes, there are absolutely no stipulations, requirements of behavior on us. The terms of engagement are entirely about who God is and his, um, his character. It's almost like he's saying, this is who I am and this is who I will always be regardless of how you behave. Always. Second uh, Timothy 2.13 says, He is faithful even when we are unfaithful, for he cannot deny who he is. God's faithfulness to us, his commitment in relation to each one of us, is not based upon who we are, but upon who he is. He is. And, and this is the, I'm going to hammer this one home, because I, I am learning that everything in my life flows out of getting this wrong. Everything that goes bad in my life flows out of getting this wrong. I just keep coming back and back and back to this. This is not like an uh, introduction to Christianity. Oh, great, you've got that right. Let's move on to the deeper stuff. I want some deeper teaching. No, you don't need deeper teaching. You just need to get grace right on the inside, Maya and other people. Because this is, this is my struggle as well. So fast forward to the New Testament, And in um, Galatians, I've been reading and listening in Galatians a bit. And the the church in Galatia kind of got this thing stuffed up. 
they went through the whole, oh, yes, grace, Jesus loves us. Yep, cool, that's what we start out with. And then some other people came along, what they call Judaizers, can't say that word. They came along and said, yeah, yeah, that grace thing is nice, but that's like introduction Christianity. There's actually all this other stuff that you also need to do. If you want to be part of God's special people, you also need to get circumcised if you're a guy, you need to eat kosher, you need to uh, obey these special feast days. There's just some, there's some other rules. Now, we're not doing the whole eating kosher, circumcision, special days kind of thing. But sometimes in church, we can feel like, oh, Jesus Christ, Jesus loves me as I am. It's introduction Christianity. But then actually there's a whole lot of other stuff you also need to do. You need to do this, this, and this, and not do this, this, and this. And what those look like culturally are a whole lot of different things. But, but in the context of Galatians... Um, so Paul writes to these guys, because he was there, he planted the church, he gave them the introduction to Christianity, which is actually the real deal. Then these other people came in and said, hey, here's all the add-ons. Paul writes to them and says, he, he is very angry. He uses some very, very strong language in Galatians. In Galatians 5, 2 to 4. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. You know, we don't talk about eating kosher, food laws, uh, special days, or getting circumcised. (laughs) Thank goodness. The markers of whether you're in or out or God loves you or not are, are kind of are different for us. But we always turn towards religion in some ways. And if you come from a, um, a different culture to you know, Pākehā, um, New Zealand culture, there will be different cultural expectations that you have to what many other people have. And they all get kind of mixed up. And there's, sometimes we can go, oh, I thought that Christians wouldn't do this. Oh, I thought that Christians shouldn't do that. And we, but we do. We love to put religion on things. It's just, I don't know, I think it's something to do with eating the, eating the fruit of the tree and that knowledge of good and evil. We think we know what's good. We think we know what's bad. So we put our, our systems on top. And there are, this is where God's really been speaking to me, there's external expectations that we have. There are certain things that you would think of me, it's okay for a pastor's wife or a pastor to do that. But if you found out I was doing some other things, oh, no, no, no pastor shouldn't do that, pastor's wife shouldn't do that. I'm probably not doing those things, but now you're wondering what they might be. (laughs) Not sure what they would be. Um, But there's also internal expectations. This is probably uh, the bigger issue for us in a modern Western context, because our culture doesn't really like rules that much. We like, you know, what's good for you is good for you, and just you be you, and I'll be me, and that kind of thing. So we, we kind of, there's a bit more of an idea of I can't tell you what to do. But inside ourselves, we have a standard of expectations of I do this and this and this, and don't do this and this and this, then I'm good with God. And that is just the same kind of religion as Paul is having a go at the Galatians about. And so I was, um, we were on holiday, we went to Hanma Springs for a while, and I was going for a run through the forest, it was beautiful, and I was listening to Galatians, and I swear the Holy Spirit changed the words, because this is what I heard instead. 
This is the Maya version. It went like this. If you are counting on serving the church to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God, sorry, it's a bit fresh. If you're trying to find favor with God by being a good girl, you must be totally perfect. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping to your own high standards, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Cut off from Christ? Fallen away from God's grace? Surely not me. That's what he was saying to me. So these are my issues. I don't know what your issues are. I've got some idea. Because we can see them. <laughs> they leak out. But all, we've all got our own set of issues, but it comes to us in different ways. Because the opposite, this is important to get, the opposite to the religious good behavior isn't, oh, anything goes, whatever, just you be you. Later on, just a little bit after this, Paul goes on to explain how the sinful nature and the life of the Spirit are battling it out within each one of us. And there's this real tension. We want to live well. We want to be good. But we so often fail. And Paul, even Paul experienced that and he acknowledges it. And the difficulty we have, we all have it, yeah? I'm not the only one, yeah? That experience of constantly falling short doesn't disqualify us from relationship with God because we don't need to meet the standards of religion. He says, when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. But I often think of myself as under obligation to the law of Maya. You think of yourself as under obligation to the law of Charlene, the law of Richie, the law of Louis, whatever it is. That obligation is about the religion that comes in. But it's, it's not just, oh, are you good or are you bad? But it's about who is in right relationship with God? Who gets to come close to God? And how close do you get to be? How good he might be to you. But you, we, we are not under that. We are not under that. And now, then after this, I started reading, again, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, a parable is, Jesus loved teaching in parables because they're super powerful ways of getting an idea across, and they're quite, uh, we're quite thought-provoking. So a parable is more than a story that tells a moral it often does a thing where it, it turns upside down our expected outcomes, the way that we think things should work. So, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan is where the, the people who we thought were good turn out to not be that good. And the, the Samaritan, who was culturally so looked down on, he turns out to be good. And it challenges us. And, and in that challenge, it causes us to think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, hang on. Why wasn't I expecting that? What is it? What does it say about how I think the world should work? And it's a really powerful way. So um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. I'll pray see you a bit and then we'll read together. So the prodigal son, prodigal means like wasteful. It's not really a word anyone ever uses anymore, um, apart from talking about the parable of the prodigal son. <laughs> so there's two sons, an, uh, an older son and a younger son, and there's a father. And the younger son comes to the father and says, I'm sick of living in your house. I want to go on my OE. 
I want some money. Uh, I know that, you know, when you die, I'd get money. Can I have that money now, please? Why doesn't say please? <laughs> he says, divide the estate, give me my bit now. Now, that's kind of rude, really. Like, nowadays, that would still be quite rude, eh? But back then, that was the equivalent of saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. That's, that's not, not good for your relationship with your father. And their expectation of the response of the father would be that he would rebuke that son. He'd tell him off, he'd correct him, he'd probably physically discipline him for being so presumptuous. Is that what the father does in the story of the prodigal son? No. He says, okay, sure, I'll give you young person with no sense of responsibility and unrealistic amount of money. Go off. Spend it how you will. Doesn't sound like great parenting to me again. So the younger son goes off to a foreign land. He lives it up in wild and wasteful living. But things don't go that well. Now famine hits the land. There's a serious economic downturn and he was, wasn't really like saving any money anyway. And he finds himself without a job and then the only job he can get is feeding pigs, which if you're a Jew, that is really, really bad. Yeah, Think of the worst kind of job that you can imagine, and it's, it's worse than that for him. And he finds himself in this place, and he's so hungry. He's feeding the pigs these, these pods, these carob pods, which is like, oh, there's not much food around. We've got to feed them this. And he's thinking, man, that pig food looks really good. I'm so hungry. So he has hit rock bottom. Now, if you were listening to the parable in Jesus' day, that is where you don't, you know, spend your money unwisely, don't give your kids too much before their time, don't be presumptuous because things are going to go bad for you. The end. One of those moralizing tales that you tell your children to get them to behave. But that's not where Jesus stops. Not at all. He goes on. Let's read together. Oh, no, it's here already. He says, so the, um, the, young, the younger son, he's in this pig pen going, gosh, that pig food looks fantastic. He's hit rock bottom. And he says to himself, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And he used to be the son in the house. And he thinks, Oh, if I could just be a hired servant, that'd be awesome. So I think, I'll go back for that. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He was filled with love and compassion, and he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. There's something unusual here is that um, I like going for a run, but back in this time, he did better active wear. Clearly, needed to go to the front runner, get some shoes. An older man would never run. Would never run. And especially if you're going to run to a person, a servant would run to you, okay? So you'd be like, oh, yes, yes, sir, they'd run to me. If you were to run to a person, that was a very, like, debasing yourself. And this thing, the father doesn't even wait for the son to come close. He sees him and he runs toward him. This is, a, this is a humble father. And what does he do? Does he rebuke him? Does he discipline him? Does he say, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. 
Who's cracked that one out? Is a parent? Not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh. He doesn't do that. He embraces him. He kisses him. And so his son, um, his son starts on that plan, like he's prepared a speech. You know how when you've got to go into like a apologize to your dad and you've prepared a speech? He said, the father, um, here we go. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Starts with the plan. Is the father listening? No, not really. Because his father says to the servants, quick, quick, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Let's get the ring. The family signet ring, the mark of authority and position. Let's put that on him. Oh, he hasn't got any shoes on. Gosh, he is poor. Let's get some sandals. Put some sandals on his feet. Kill that calf we've been fattening. We are going to have a feast that can feed the whole village. We must celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. He was dead to me and he's returned to life. He was lost and how he's found. We're having a party. This is, this is unexpected, how the father relates to the son. But there's an older son as well. The older son, he was the good boy. He was the one who met the expectations. He was in the fields working. This is interesting. The whole village is celebrating, having a party. And the, the, the son, the brother, where's he? A righteous critic refuses to join the party. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant says, your brother is back and your father's killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother is not happy about this. He was angry and he wouldn't go in. This is a very rude act, again, culturally. And his father comes out and begs father that would have been expected. Again, you would be like, what are you doing? Why would you not? This is embarrassing me in front of the whole village who is here for our party. Come on in. But no, the father comes out and begs him. He takes again and again the position of humility. But the older, older brother says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave, even gave me one of a young goat for a feast with my friends. And when this, this son of yours, i.e. he's no brother of mine, he comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Pretty much he's saying, I love you. There is a way open for you to come to me. He said, but we had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead. He's come back to life. I was lost, but now he is found. So these younger and these older brothers, they're kind of, they're kind of like archetypes. Like It's not like um, you and I, like we're either the one, we're either the younger brother or we're either the older brother, but they kind of are, uh, they reflect kind of attitudes of the heart, and often we resonate more with one and the other. You know, maybe your life story looks a little bit like the older brother, or your, your life story looks a little bit by the younger brother, but we often kind of resonate with one or the other. I won't ask for a show of hands, but you probably know in your heart which one you think, oh yeah, kind of like that one. What's interesting, I think, is at the end of this parable, the younger brother has a head start on relationship with the father that the older brother doesn't. The younger one has fallen, he is broken, and he knows it. He admits it. The older brother is, is stiff, 
He's cold-shouldered. He's rude with the Father. He's unwilling to admit his own brokenness, and so he can't enter into relationship. You know, this whole bit about, you never even gave me a young goat. I bet the Father's like, you never even asked for a young goat? And it's, it's important to understand here, like there's always a caveat when you're preaching, isn't there, that um, one parable doesn't represent the whole character of God, okay? That's why we don't just read our favorite bits of the book, that kind of stuff. And there is, a, there is a real tension here, that idea that God takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. Yeah, he takes you as you are, but his love is too good, as the song goes, his love is too good to leave you as you are. Yeah, I was going to invite the band to come up. I just want to make a bit of... Sp- What's really interesting is that the younger son comes to the father with a proposal for relationship, some terms of engagement. And the father says, no, I, I won't receive you as a servant. My um, cultural background study Bible, which I would highly recommend, says the father's actions reject the son's proposal. And it's interesting, the older says, I slaved away for you. And if you think about how the father said to the younger son, I don't want to be, I don't want you to be a servant, he doesn't want the older son slaving away either. The father refuses to engage with both sons on those terms of relationship that they propose. The younger son says, I'm coming back to you but you're probably angry with me. I know I blew it, so I'm not expecting much. I won't ask, but I'm probably just going to stay at a bit of a distance from you because I don't trust myself. And Father, I don't, I don't believe that you would really accept me as I am, so I'm just going to be a servant in your house. And the Father's response is, oh, none of that. You're my son. You're my daughter. Here is position. Here is authority. Here is dignity. But first of all, here is embrace. I have been waiting to embrace you again. And the father says, and he says says to the younger son, and he says to each of us, I'm not disappointed in you. I don't know if that's a message for your heart today. Maybe it is for you, Darren. The Father is not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed. The older son comes and says, I've worked hard for you. I haven't disobeyed you. Well, I've disobeyed you sometimes, let's be honest, Scott, but generally I've tried quite well. This is me. (laughs) I haven't asked for much. I've been a good girl, God. But Father... I can't really believe that you want to be abundantly good to me. That's my heart. This is like public therapy. Just, yeah. And what does the father say? Oh, none of that. Those were never the grounds for our relationship. That was never the basis of my approval of you. You have held me at a distance with your work ethic, with your good behavior, by keeping to those great, this is what a good Christian looks like rules. But I have been waiting to embrace you for the longest time. It's like God is saying, oh, I won't settle for that. 
that kind of relationship you want from me. I won't settle for that. But what is really, really interesting and just so meaningful is that the Father doesn't have that same kind of approach when the younger son is running away from him. He says, I will let you hurt me. In the garden, think back to the Garden of Eden. Father God is saying pretty much, you are free to hurt me, Adam and Eve. It's right on the kitchen bench. This thing you know you're not supposed to do, you are free to hurt me. And um, here we go. First Corinthians 13 talks about how love is patient. And there's, there's the idea of it is that love patiently endures mistreatment. Love is incredibly patient even in difficult relationships. And everyone who's ever been in a significant relationship goes, yes, yes. <laughs> but God patiently endures mistreatment from each one of us. And I think he's able to do that in the garden, right at the very beginning. He sets it up like that because he is already so secure in the relationship he has within himself and the Trinity that you can, you can hurt me. I will let you mistreat me and reject me, but I will never refuse you entry to my embrace and I will always pursue you. And the father takes a long-term view with the younger son. Can you imagine what it'd be like? Your child coming and say, I wish you were dead. Actually, all you mean to me is just money. Uh, can I have it now? I want nothing from you. How hurtful would that be? But he takes the long-term view. He consistently loves. And there's something I heard just this morning that, that said there is room for error in our relationship with God. There is room for us to make mistakes, to run away from Him. It's not like that's good for us because, you know, my errors, they have consequences. They hurt me. They hurt other people. They hurt other people I love. But in my relationship with God, there is room for error. There is room, this is pretty much the younger son. There's room for you to stuff it up completely. And I'm still here. That's how wide the embrace is. How about we all stand together? I just really feel like this is a, a thing that, you know, Dave talked before about that breaking of the ground within us. If you're open to that, why don't you just open up a little bit? Whatever that looks like for you. Check in with you because it's really easy to hear a sermon and um, be thinking of someone else. Yeah? Oh, yeah, she really needs to listen to that. Oh, gosh. You know, nudging spouse next to you. But what is, the, what is the Spirit saying to you? You know, which one of those sons do you most identify with? What would you say is the relationship that you've put on the table with God? What are your terms of engagement with Him? Because it's possible that God is saying to you, I will not accept the terms on which you are asking to engage with me. I will accept nothing less than love. I will accept nothing less than scandalous grace. No deals, no promises, no pretense. Just you being you and me loving you. That is what he wants. 
with each one of us. Now receiving that grace is not always easy because we are so broken. It's hard to be loved sometimes. And all of these religion, the systems, the judging we do, internal and outside and all of that keep us from the Father. But I want to get as close as I can to that kind of embrace. And because it's when I get that on the inside, that real change flows out of the the place of the embrace of the Father. So if you feel like this is something that's really stirred something within you, I want to encourage you to just to open up as I pray now to receive. Maybe you want to open up, you want to do something with your body to say, yep, come on, this is me, God. Let's engage with the Spirit. Father, it is a scandal to us that you would love us like this. We have been taught and we, we, we think, we teach others God, that there is more to it than this, that there is more to it than grace, foundation, and anything that disagrees with this is a false gospel. And Lord, I ask that you would expose within each one of us those false gospels like the Galatians cause us to fall away from grace. And Father, for many of us, there are deep wounds that cause us to resist your embrace. And Lord, we invite your healing power. We invite the searchlight of your spirit. God, we even take a risk on relationship within this into your love. And Father, I ask that right now you would hear us, cause us to hear the voice of the Father. that says you're not going to settle for anything less in relationship. No pretense, no promises, no denying, just us being us and you loving us. And God, we receive your love. We receive your love for us. Maybe that's something you want to say to him, just quietly under your breath. Let your heart melt into the embrace of the Father. Don't be the person who, um, you know, you're trying to give them a hug, and now it's like they're made of wood. Father God, we receive your love for us. Amen. I want to encourage you that growing into grace is not an individual pursuit. This is not something you do by yourself. This is only something you can do in community with other people. It's only as you... um, get vulnerable with other people and let them love you that we find access to the grace of the Father. We let other people love us like God would. 
arm's length. Yeah? God, let, let this be the year that you let some more people in. Let this be the year that you invest your time in an e-group to let other people really see who you are. That you open up some more and that you be the person who scandalously loves another when they let you see the errors. Yeah? It's, it's going to make it your best year yet. Hey, before I close the service, the most the message, the most important first step is entering that relationship. And just like with that younger son, doesn't matter how far he was from the father, the invitation to relationship is always there. I can imagine the father in that that parable looking out because it said he noted the father noticed him when he was a long way off. I don't think it was just like, I just happened to be walking past and I saw him off in the distance. Oh, there he is. I can imagine the father instead every day looking down that road, thinking one day he's going to come home. One day he's going to come home. And he's like that with us as well. And so I'll just ask everyone to close your eyes just to give people a bit of um, space. If you're here today and you are that younger son, and you want to walk down the road and back into the Father's arms and enter into a relationship with Him, then this is the place for it. If that's you, you want to say, hey, I want to start a journey as a Christian, just put your hand up so I can see who it is and I can pray with you. Or perhaps you'd say, I'm, I'm that older brother. I've been in the church and working hard and doing the things, but actually I have been distant from my the and I would like to start that today. Is there anyone who wants to make that decision today? Give me a wave so I can see you. I see you, Mana. Okay, I'm not seeing any other hands, so you can open your eyes with me. I really want to encourage you to sit with this message for a bit. Um, this is something that I've been sitting with for a long time, and I actually made, like I wept multiple times writing notes which Dave laughed at. It's like, my writing is so good, I move myself to tears. Um, I mean, that's, that could also be true. But more the spirit has, has moved me. Obviously, it's a deeply personal message, um, which, you know, like I said, public therapy, it's all good. Um, but I do want to encourage you to, to build into those relationships where you can be vulnerable with people because I am growing into this only because... I have friends and I have an e-group who love me in this. And oh, gosh, it is they are a gift to me. And, and turning up to that e-group is a gift to myself. Yeah? Right, I'm going to hand back over to Pastor Dave. Thank you.